Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 721 for release on Sunday, December 18th, 2022. On the program today, Ocean Island in the Pacific is in the news again. The new Global Radio Guide is out. The Canadian International DX Club celebrates 60 years and our Australian DX Report. Last month, in November of 2022, there was a series of news items in newspapers and magazines about lonely and isolated Ocean Island out there in the wide-open vistas of the nostalgic blue Pacific Ocean. The writers and the interviewees were deploring the loss of island life on Ocean Island, which is known by the local citizens as Banaba Island. Here's Ray Robinson. Thanks, Jeff. During the colonial era under the British, the top surface of the island had been almost totally denuded in the commercial attempt to retrieve as much of the phosphate rock as possible. Phosphate is a valuable commercial product that's required as a fertiliser for the growth of plant foods. Many of the Banaba citizens had been relocated to Rambi Island in Fiji, which was emptied of its own inhabitants for the benefit of the new refugees from Banaba. Even so, the displaced Banabans still had a longing for their original island home. On several occasions over the years, the small and lonely Ocean Island in the Western Pacific near the equator has featured prominently in international news events. It's a solitary raised coral island that can be described on the map as a broken circle, with a total area of less than two and a half square miles. The current population on Ocean Island is just 300 people, and they speak their own variety of the language known as Gilbertese. Ocean Island, also known internationally as Banaba Island, forms the westernmost point of the scattered island nation now known as Kiribati. The original Melanesian inhabitants arrived on Ocean or Banaba around 4,000 years ago. The first known sighting of Banaba by Europeans occurred on January 3, 1801, when Captain Jared Gardner of the American vessel Diana sighted the island. And then three years later, in 1804, Captain John Murtho on the convict cargo ship Ocean sighted the island and named it after his vessel. Beginning in the year 1900, the Pacific Phosphate Company began the mining of phosphate rock in the centre of the island, and they constructed a railway line to deliver the fertiliser to a coastal harbour. However, due to the preliminary events leading up to the Pacific War in the middle of the last century, most of the foreigners on Ocean Island were evacuated, beginning in July 1941. Japanese armed forces occupied the island from August 26, 1942, until the end of World War II in 1945. Immediately after the end of the Pacific War, the British colonial authorities resettled most of the local population onto unoccupied Rambi Island that belonged to Fiji, due to the devastation on Ocean Island caused by phosphate mining and Japanese occupation. Back in the year 1908, just eight years after Marconi inaugurated his first permanent wireless station in England, the Pacific Phosphate Company announced that they hoped a wireless station could be installed on Ocean Island. 
During the following year, in 1909, another announcement indicated that the wireless station would be capable of long-distance transmission. In addition, the specific location on Ocean Island for the projected station would need to be approved by a wireless engineer, they said. The new long-wave Spark wireless station on Ocean Island eventually was taken into regular service during the year 1917. After the end of World War I, the wireless station on Ocean Island was in regular usage and it was listed under the international call sign VQK. In January 1923, a series of test transmissions was carried out with a similar wireless station on the somewhat nearby island of Nauru. Then beginning in April 1938, the Ocean Island radio station began to take on importance in the Pacific Island Coast Watching Service by providing local intelligence information back to New Zealand. In December 1940, for example, station VQK heard wireless transmissions at the time the German raiding ship, the Black Raider, sank the phosphate-carrying ship, the Triadic, off the coast of Nauru. And then in early December 1941, the Japanese Navy bombarded the island, and station VQK warned the island of Nauru that Japanese warplanes were on a mission towards their island. At the time, radio station VQK was manned by civilian New Zealanders. The Japanese occupied Ocean or Banaba Island on August 26, 1942, and they remained on the island until after the end of the Pacific War in August 1945. Due to the small population currently living on Ocean or Banaba Island, just 300, there is no regular radio broadcasting station on the island. Rambi Island is a part of the Vanua-Levu group of islands which form the northern administrative unit in the central Pacific island nation of Fiji. This volcanic island has an area of 26 square miles and it was originally the home of Melanesian Fijians. The island was sold a hundred years ago to the British and Australian commercial company Lever Brothers who manufacture and sell soap and food products. And then in 1941, the British government bought Rambi Island from Lever Brothers with the intent of transferring Banaba Islanders to this location, a project that was interrupted by World War II. Four years later, in 1945, the Fijians on Rambi Island were transferred to Tavuni Island and most of the islanders on Banaba were transferred to Rambi. In the pre-war era, the Australian radio company AWA established a network of communication stations throughout Fiji, and two of these were installed in the northern Vanua-Levu group. Station VPE was installed on Lambasa Island, and Station VQL was installed on Savu-Savu Island, both of which served Rambi Island also. These days, Radio Fiji operates a nationwide network of FM stations, and some of these relay stations provide adequate radio coverage of the Vanua-Levu group, including both Rambi and Tavuni Islands. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Adventist World Radio's frequency manager, Giuseppe Cirillo in Germany, sends word via Jos Jacob in India that AWR's service in Tamil to India via Tashkent, Uzbekistan at 1500 to 1530 UTC has changed frequency this month from 12040 kHz to 12085 kHz. The reason for the change is that 12040 
was interfering with the communication frequency of Tashkent Airport, which is using 120.400 megahertz. That is the 10th harmonic of that AWR frequency. With tensions between Taiwan and China on the rise, and with the Russian-Ukrainian war raging on, radio hobbyists are following the latest news from the front lines using shortwave broadcasts and various other radio services. You can hear these international events, but it's very helpful to have an accurate and comprehensive global radio guide to know where and when to tune in to the action. That is where you can count on Gail Van Horn's Global Radio Guide, now in its 19th edition for the winter of 2022-23, to as it has all the details you need to catch up with the latest from these and other hotspots around the world. In this completely updated edition, regular Global Radio Guide contributor Fred Waterer, also of the Spectrum Monitor, posts features on monitoring the international broadcasters at the very forefront of the events. Larry Van Horn adds his detailed information on monitoring of utilities on the shortwave bands, including military communications. With the help of the GRG, you can tune in shortwave broadcast stations from additional hotspots, such as Cuba, India, Iran, North and South Korea, and many other countries. If you have a shortwave radio receiver, a software-defined radio, an SDR, or an internet connection, Pair it with this unique radio resource to know when and where to listen to the world. This newest edition of the Global Radio Guide has a 24-hour station frequency guide with schedules for selected AM, longwave, and shortwave radio stations. It lists by-hour schedules that include all language services, frequencies, and world target areas for over 500 stations worldwide. The Global Radio Guide includes listings of DX programs, and internet website addresses for many of the stations in the book. There are also entries for time and frequency stations. You can find this edition of the Global Radio Guide available for purchase on the Teak Publishing website at www.teakpublishing.com. The 19th edition of the Global Radio Guide ebook, an electronic book only, there is no print edition, is also available worldwide from Amazon and their various international websites. The price for the latest edition is $8.99 US. Since this book is being released internationally, Amazon customers in the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Japan, India, Canada, Brazil, Mexico, and Australia can order this ebook from Amazon websites directly servicing these countries. Customers in all other countries can use the regular Amazon.com website to purchase the book. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada, sends us the following information from the CIDX Messenger about the 60th anniversary of the Canadian International DX Club, CIDX. A lot of great things happened throughout 2022, our CIDX 60th anniversary year, they write. Our membership numbers are way up due mainly to the promotion of CIDX through several vehicles. One of the major sources of new members has been Gilles Letourneau's official SWL channel on YouTube. We also did a lot of promotion using Facebook. We offered free sample copies of the Messenger to members of numerous radio-related Facebook groups. We activated, for the first time in a long time, the two CIDX Club amateur radio call signs, 
in Montreal, Quebec, and Lamont, Alberta, on several occasions during the year, including during the 60th anniversary celebrations. We issued special commemorative EQSLs for each contact. The major event of the year, though, was certainly the CIDX 60 September, hosted by Mickey Delmage in Sherwood Park, Alberta. Highlights included a visit to Don Momin's installation in Lamont, the annual CIDX barbecue, and tours of Edmonton and the surrounding areas. We were also pleased to get our new CIDX webpage up and running, and we continued our monthly CIDX Zoom meetings, which everyone seems to enjoy. You can find more information about the Canadian International DX Club at www.cidxclub.ca. That's www.cidxclub.ca. Congratulations to CIDX on their 60th anniversary. In recent weeks here on WaveScan, we've brought you the first two parts of a special program about radio in Sri Lanka, which was produced by Jonathan Marks of Radio Netherlands and broadcast on his Media Network program in 1985. In this third part today, we pick up the conversation with the Deutsche Welle project manager at the Trincomalee Sri Lanka relay site. He explained that they had five transmitters there, but what kind of antennas did they have? Yeah, we have um, shortwave antennas, some with four and three bands. And uh, do you have to generate your own power? Because the, the site itself is just outside Trincomalee, quite a, quite a way away from everything, I should think. Yeah, we had to install our own power plant. It is actually the first station of Deutsche Welle, which is running on own power. We have therefore installed uh, two generators of each 2.7 megawatts, which will be for the time being enough to meet our demand. But certainly we will have to install another one as a standby. Now, I should explain that we're sitting in a sort of a makeshift studio, a Land Rover, sitting under the shade of the satellite dish, and that's presumably used for uh, program links back to Germany, is it? Yeah, that's right. We have um, at present one channel, which is consisting of two telephone channels, which are assembled with a bandwidth extension unit. A further channel will follow by 1st of June, so that from that date on we could run our transmissions as intended too. The dish was installed by NEC. It's an 11 meter diameter standard B intercept system. And uh, one thing I was interested in, when you normally sign on the air, shortwave listeners I know like to try and find out where it's coming from, where it's, uh, the, the transmitter side is. Uh, and Deutsche Welle identifies with, uh, this is uh, Deutsche Welle Trincomalee. from Trincomalee, Sri Lanka. Um, but that doesn't come from a tape. No, this doesn't come from a tape. It is an, uh, a memory, solid-state memory, in which this is uh, stored. And is that the same too with the, the interval signal that you use? Yeah, that's the same. The Deutsche Welle site's expected to be officially commissioned in September, though just when the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation will begin using the airtime it has a right to, as part of the contract, hasn't yet been decided. 
The 275-acre site is a bit different from others I visited, for their biggest problem is stopping the jungle overgrowth growing around the antennas, and also keeping away the wild elephants. So far, they've managed to knock down 150 of the fence posts around the site. And so we headed back to the capital. For the only other international broadcaster is Transworld Radio on Sri Lanka, which operates a small mixing studio in a quiet part of Colombo. I asked their frequency coordinator, Henk Tsik, how long they've been there. I think we initially came in 1976 and began negotiations for the station then. And what have you got in terms of facilities? We have a 400-kilowatt medium-wave transmitter located in Putlam, about three hours' drive north of Colombo. But do you produce programs in Colombo? Now, we produce, the programs are produced in India and then shipped down to us on reel, and then we make one reel and uh, mix it over and then give it to the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation here in Colombo. We have a program link from Colombo to our transmitting site. We go up to Radella, which is in the mountains, and then up north to Putlam from there. With our medium wave, we're able to cover most of India at night and in early morning. Portions that we don't cover, we try to augment from our station in Guam. रेडियो विश्ववाणी की पहली सभा अब आरंभ होती है मीडियम वेव 340 मीटर अर्थात आठ किलोहर्ट्ज पर हम श्रीलंका से बोल रहे हैं but there's not only radio but television as well. Colombo has two channels, one being an independent commercial station, ITN, with coverage of about 30 miles. The other government station, Rupavani, is nationwide. Good evening, welcome to Studio 2. So, will television gradually replace radio? The chairman of the SLBC again, Levi Vijamana. I'm afraid I'm one of those people who is firmly convinced that radio will play a very important part and continue to play a very important part in this country, despite television. You see, when, the te- when television was introduced into this country, there was a general swing over to television because it was a novelty. People just sort of, you know, stared at a at a screen and hope that they'll be able to get some something interesting. But they are now beginning begun to realize that every program is not their meat. One thing I'm curious about is, as well as uh, carrying advertisements, which we can hear, you also carry uh, sponsored death notices, if I'm right. Yes, we do. We are one of two stations in the world that do that. You see, in this country, take, for instance, the Muslims. When there's a death in the family, the body has to be buried within a few hours before sunset the body has to be disposed of and to get at relatives and friends at short notice the only medium is radio the death is announced of freddie anthony rooks formerly royal college beloved son of anton proprietor rooks brothers and christine A relatively new trend in Sri Lanka is towards FM broadcasting. There's even a stereo music service for part of the day for Colombo. The time is 7.30. You are tuned to Studio STX of the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation.
For the next quarter hour, we invite you to our program of Ballads Then and Now. Sheena Easton is featured first on the program and she offers Just One Smile. So, will FM gradually replace medium and shortwave for domestic broadcasting? Yes, uh, we started this FM service about a year and a half ago on a limited basis in the metropolitan area. Naturally, people are taking to it because the quality is much better than medium wave or short wave. What is most important is that the power consumption is going to be about one-fifth of what we consume for medium wave transmissions. So we have a plan now which we have put up for uh, the, uh, the coverage of the entire island by FM. And we hope to be able to do this in stages over the next five, six years. So we'll have three parallel services going for some time. Is the shortwave service still important? I'm talking about the domestic service on the 60 metres. Well, it is important at the present moment because there are pockets of civilization in this country which do not get the medium wave and you do not get frequency modulation. It's FM service. Right, now let's turn to the media news section of the programme. Here's a new sound on the airwaves from the US towards Cuba. Buenos días, Cuba. Está escuchando Radio Martí en el aire hoy. Ahora, Radio Martí. That sound hit the airwaves at 0930 UTC this past Monday. But the long-awaited Radio Marti is not only on medium wave, 1180 kilohertz, from a transmitter on the Florida Keys. There's shortwave beamed at Cuba as well, from a transmitter in Greenville, North Carolina. That was part three of the media network Sri Lanka special broadcast in 1985, produced and hosted by Jonathan Marks. You can find more of Jonathan's archive programs by Googling Media Network Vintage Vault. In case you've ever wondered what happened to shortwave station KGEI in Redwood City, California, near San Francisco, Ray Robinson, who's in California, found the following item in the Redwood City Pulse, an online newspaper in that city. We'll let you hear the story now. It was written by reporter Dan Kallick and is read by an unnamed announcer on the Redwood City Pulse website. The story begins way back during World War II. Television had yet to become the great medium it is today. Instead, Americans were kept informed and entertained by radio, a platform so popular that many Americans purchased radios rivaling today's large-screen TVs in size. They became furniture for many households. In an effort to promote patriotic material to eager listening audiences, General Electric launched a shortwave radio station at the Golden Gate International Exposition on Treasure Island in 1939. The call letters were W6XBE. Soon after, in August the letters were changed to KGEI, referring to General Electric International. In 1941, at the conclusion of the exposition, KG's 50KW transmitter was relocated to the bayside marshlands of Redwood City, now Redwood Shores. In addition to being a platform for General Electric to promote its products, KGEI was the only voice from America for GIs who were stationed overseas in the Pacific. General Douglas MacArthur's famous, I shall return to the Philippines, speech from Australia in 1944 was broadcast over their airwaves. After the war, KGEI continued to broadcast programming which eventually became known as Voice of America. 
However, some programming invited a bit of controversy. Here is an interesting account of something that took place during the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. In July 1962, a curious letter was received from a Cuban listener, detailing the exact positions and descriptions of Russian missile launching sites. Since nothing had yet appeared in the world press about any such threat, KGEI's parent organization decided to reproduce the letter, as a curiosity, in one of its fundraising letters to the donors. It was then KGEI learned that the CIA was on the donor mailing list. The phone rang, a meeting was arranged. The agent implored KGEI to bring such letters to their attention before making them public. No similar letters were ever received. KGEI changed ownership after the war but continued broadcasting. Changing times and evolving listener taste reduced the audience over the years. Eventually, in 1994 it went silent. Today, the building with its original extra-thick concrete walls, designed to withstand a bomb blast, still exists. The antenna is long gone, and the current occupant is a private business, unrelated to radio or media. Everything else is just history. That report about KGEI came from the Redwood City Pulse. And to close WaveScan today, Silent Night, sung by Haley Westenra, a New Zealand singer and UNICEF ambassador. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, our WaveScan special Christmas music program, a festival of Christmas music from around the world. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, Merry Christmas, everyone.